we do this occasionally, Pastor Morris and I. Uh, we don't always opt out of our normal series when it comes to the first Sunday. We're having the Lord's Supper, but occasionally, so that we're just we we stay attuned to what's going on here. We always set the table so that people are aware of what what the table is, what it's not. But occasionally we like to look at scripture that relates to it so that everyone has a, as a fresh reminder. And today we're back to a, a passage that is, is the, as, as the theologians, the exegetes call it, the locus classicus. It's the classical uh, passage on the Lord's Supper. The Apostle Paul giving it to the troubled indulgent, decadent Corinthian church. And uh, that makes it always timely for us because many of our churches are tempted that way, if not that way. So let's read together. The verses you see there, uh, actually it's Uh, verse 23 through 32, but if you will read with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. For I received from the Lord, but I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself, then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The grass withers and the flower fades, but God's word endures forever. Father, thank you that your word is here for your church. Thank you for accommodating yourself to speaking to us in a common way that we can understand as finite creatures. We ask now that we might enjoy this time pondering this wonderful, simple, yet complex meal that you provided for your church until that day when Christ comes and we're able to enjoy that great banquet. But until then, we'll enjoy this simple meal and your presence with us in Christ's name. Amen. If you, uh, if you were to frequent the church courts, 
In Presbyterianism, that's the session. It's when your elders meet in formal meetings to work for you. Uh, Presbytery, when presbyteries gather, that's all the churches in a geographical region, the ministers as well as the representatives, the elders of your church come together, or certainly at General Assembly. One of the things that you often hear about is the, the issue of, of, of unity. And, and along with unity is also discussed purity. And uh, unfortunately, more often than one might imagine, there is this, this peculiar wedge. It's, it's invisible. You can't see it. But it gets driven between purity and unity. And so we talk about purity in the sense particularly of doctrinal purity. Well, we need to, our doctrine needs to be right. Then there are those that like to talk, on the other hand, about unity. Well, we need to be unified. So you got this discussion over here and this one, and you've got this, this wedge that no one can see, but obviously there's something between these two. And then if someone happens to say, but brothers, we can't have unity unless we have purity. Unless we're agreed on our doctrine, we can't, we can't be unified. That would be akin to what, what the prophet Jeremiah describes, peace, peace, when there is no peace. If you go and read that portion, you realize that's exactly what's going on in Jeremiah's time is people are trying to have peace on their own terms without doing what God says. Well, you say, what's that got to do with the Lord's Supper? Well, it's actually, it's got everything to do with the Lord's Supper. And the Lord's Supper has everything to do with that because that's exactly the context in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you go back and read those early verses, beginning in, in particularly 17 um, and through to verse 22, you'll realize that they, the Corinthian church, had uh, had a pretty good, pretty good opinion of themselves, and they were indulging themselves. They were living in an affluent life in an affluent culture, and they had rather adapted the culture to the church. And so all of a sudden now the unity that they had, which was not really unity, because if you read those passages, that tell, if you go back and read the paragraph above, <clears throat> there were people who weren't being treated well, even, the, even though the church was coming together and having a grand time. What they tried to do is they tried to turn the Lord's Supper into something a little more appealing. Churches try to do that sometimes. We just need to be more appealing to the world. 
Well, I got news for you. Paul says this, that the gospel, indeed the church itself, is like foolishness to the world. You remember reading that? It's in this same book, 1 Corinthians. The world hears this gospel. What? Saved from what? Sin? Well, I'm as good as anyone else. I've not done anything so bad. But you need a savior. A savior from what? And then you say, well, from God. You need to be saved from God. And they say, God. And then, on the off chance, you get them to come to worship with you. And perhaps there's some here this morning. And that's that, this is that off chance. We're glad you're here. But I'm going to tell you. And maybe we should have warned you on the front end. Everything we do in here during this time is weird. It's strange to people who don't believe and people who don't understand what God says in his book. That we're doing what he says because we love him. And so it's what Paul says earlier in the book is God's foolishness, this stuff, is our only hope. This is how people become truly wise. You got the wisdom of the world. Well, it would say, eat, drink, and be merry. And by the way, you just lost, you just lost two or three really good hours of, of this Sunday day. And after all, we know that Sunday was made for the NFL. And for tennis, for baseball and soccer and for marathons and for you name it. That's foolish. But, but Paul says this, but that which is foolishness is really our only hope because it removes us out of, the, out of this trap of the world and gives us something beyond this world, which is the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. So Corinth had to learn that lesson. And did you notice in them trying to accommodate the culture into their worship, And throwing these, these love feasts along with or in the context. We're not talking about they had the Lord's Supper, then they went out in the narthex and they had a fellowship meal. That's not what was going on. They were just mixing it all together. They were passing the cup around and around over and over. He says, some of you are getting drunk. But did, did you notice something? He says in, back in verse 18, we didn't read that, but perhaps you've read it before. In the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. 
For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. What they were doing, drawing on the world to make the Lord's Supper more more palatable, more less strange to the world, was actually dividing them. It wasn't causing unity. It's interesting, Paul uses a term here. He says, there must be factions among you. He says, I hear there are divisions among you. One of the words he uses there is the word heresy. In other words, there was heresy among you, and that divided you. And then he explains, the heresy was in your practice. You say, oh, whoa, wait a minute. You mean the way we do it could be heresy, not just what we say we believe? Yeah. There's such a thing as orthodoxy, you know, right doctrine. And there's such a thing as heterodoxy, wrong doctrine. But there's also heteropraxy and orthopraxy, bad practice and right practice. So they had bad doctrine drawing on the world and bad practice, and it was dividing the church. Anytime the church accommodates their God-ordained message and or practices to the mindset of the world, it becomes the world, not the church. And... We usually don't do world as well as we do church. We certainly don't do the world as well as the world does the world. And then we wonder why the world doesn't doesn't come along behind us. It's because they can get it better somewhere else and in a whole lot better environment. So, hopefully you see now the whole thing of, of, of unity and purity. And it's right here in chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians. So we want to be pure in doctrine so that we can be truly united. Not just peace, peace when there really is no peace. Now, we, we, there's so much in this passage, and we look at the different aspects of it from time to time. Today, it's very simple. The first thing is this, is that this sacramental meal, some of you may have grown up in a, in a, in a tradition like I did. It was called an ordinance. Uh, I, I, I prefer the word sacrament because it carries with it the fact that there is, there is more potency to it. It's not just something to be observed but it actually has some life-giving importance, life-renewing importance. But the sacrament is about the family of God. Now, reading your typical English translation, it doesn't come across as well, but I can explain that. Verses 23 through 26, those yous, in verse 23, 
and in verse 24, and in verse 25, and in verse 26, all of those U's, Y-O-U, are plural. Paul's talking to all y'all. All right? He's not just talking to you individually. Not yet, anyway. And he's saying, this sacrament is for y'all. That is, the church. That's the reason, all during COVID, when we started streaming, we would tell people, you know, if you're there, if you're on that camera up there or inside that camera or wherever they are, sitting in their living room or in their bed or wherever they were, and we're having the Lord's Supper, don't go get the wine and the bread and think you're participating with us. This is not something to be done as an individual. I'm so proud of our presbytery. We just took this issue up recently. We learned that people were, a church was doing this in our, in our presbytery, encouraging people to sit at home by themselves and, and enjoy the Lord's Supper while they were there at the church building and having the Lord's Supper. And our presbytery dealt with it, and the church has repented and apologized and said, you're right, we're wrong. This is, this, is a, this is a meal for the family. It's not a family meal if I'm sitting in one restaurant in Oak Ridge and Carol's sitting at another restaurant in Oak Ridge. Right? That's not a family meal. And so I'd encourage you and warn you, by the way, because Paul warns, if you do this wrongly, there are serious consequences. So if you're, if you're viewing online, and we always have some, don't be super spiritual and go get your wine or grape juice and your bread and think you're going to enjoy the Lord's Supper. You're only bringing judgment on yourself. That's why it's necessary to be right here. To be participating. It's a family meal. It's meant, to, it's meant to be unifying. We talk about our, it, sometimes it's referred to as communion. And people often think vertically, right? It's communion with God. That's true, it is. He's the one that's feeding us. But it's also communion horizontally. Just like at a family meal. We're enjoying one another. We're acknowledging as we take the bread, as we take the cup, we're acknowledging, hey, we're family. I believe you're a believer in Jesus. I believe you're a believer in Jesus. We're all part of the family of God. That's part of what's going on here. It's a family meal. And the Corinthians had violated a principle that Jesus had given, and that is when Jesus said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
and they weren't showing love for one another. They were being exclusive. Some of them were eating and drinking so much, the others got there a little late, didn't have anything. They didn't care. They were indulging. It's one of the reasons, among several, that I do believe we should hold the elements, both the bread and the cup, until that time when we can eat together instead of eating individually. It's because it's a picture. It portrays, just as this is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ in his body and blood broken for us, us taking the bread simultaneously and the cup simultaneously reveals to everyone around us, hey, we're one. We're all eating of that one true faith that's located in Jesus Christ. The family is most often in focus in the Bible. The plural, second person plural, and the third person plural are used an ordinate number of times in the Bible and particularly the New Testament. Why is that? Because Christ came to save his people, not his person. He came to save his people. He came to save the bride of Christ, the church. And so the Bible talks an awful lot about the church. We see the covenantal nature of the mill in the gospel accounts. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all refer to when Jesus says twice, Matthew and Mark, this is the covenant in my blood. Luke records it as the Lord saying, this is the new covenant in my blood. Is there a difference? Nope. It's the, gospel, it's the covenant of grace. So for Matthew and Mark to record, this is the covenant in my blood, is just showing the continuity as Matthew would do, a good Jewish writer. He's showing the continuity of the gospel and the gospel of grace and the covenant of grace from the garden to the consummation. Luke is being a little more particular in saying we've entered into a new era because Christ has come. The fullness of time has come. He's not saying anything different when he records new covenant than Matthew and Mark are. It's just simply saying covenant. It's the same covenant of grace that the blood refers to. It is, as at the end of Hebrews, it's that eternal blood of the eternal covenant that the writer there refers to. You say, okay, you just threw me a curve. We were talking about the family of God, and now you're talking about covenant. Yeah, because covenant's about God's people. Remember how important the, the community was in the old covenant? And here we're seeing in the new covenant... 
That's why it's important for all of us to deal with our sins before we come to this table. If we're living in sin, any individual, we can have a harmful effect on the whole body. We're like leaven in the bread. Go back to the Old Testament. You have some of those really remarkable illustrations where one person sinning, harboring a sin, living in sin, unrepenting of sin, and it's having an effect on the whole community, the whole body of Christ. That's why we come to this table thinking about one another, not just thinking about ourselves. These Corinthians were just thinking about themselves. And we have to, we have to fight that temptation because we live in an individualistic society. We live in a, a culture that, that prides itself on me and mine. I mean, we even have country songs that glorify it. I want to talk about me. That's who we are as sinners. But when we come to this table, we have to remember that we're saints also. This is about us, not just about me. Okay, with that said, it is about me. And it is about you as an individual. And that's where Paul turns next. We'll be brief on this. The sacrament's about the person's responsibility before God. We see that transition in verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup, whoever is singular, in an unworthy manner, but let a person singular examine himself then and so eat. For anyone singular who eats and drinks without judging the body eats and drinks judgment. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. That's getting back to the point I just made with the covenant. That's the tie. That's the, that's the connection. It's the covenant, y'all. That's why as individuals it's important for us to all deal with our sins. Keep a short list. Don't let them get ahead of us. Just like we're not supposed to let the sun go down on our anger, we shouldn't let the sun set on our sin. God's extended discipline of individuals to the church through our elders. We have to do that from time to time. Why? Well, our book of church order rightly says the three biblical reasons for church discipline. One is for the glory of Christ. If there's sin abounding, that doesn't glorify Christ. Second, it's for the purity of the church. You mean my sin? My sin is a blot upon the purity of the church? Yeah. Let me just think about it. How many times have you heard out in the community, you tell somebody you go to so-and-so church, and they say, oh, isn't that where so-and-so go there? And you know immediately what they're thinking. First of all, so-and-so hadn't been there for a year or two. 
So church isn't very important to so-and-so. And that also says Christ is not important to them. Or it may be the way they handle themselves in public. And all of a sudden you realize that one person living in sin, their public testimony has brought a cloud over the church. So first purpose of church discipline is to, is to glorify God, to honor Christ. Second is to protect the purity of the church, her reputation. And third is, good Lord willing, to reclaim that sinner. In other words, call them on their sin and call them out of that sin to repentance and back to faith in Christ. As I said, from time to time we have to do that. But that's the purpose of it. We're all, as individuals, part of something much bigger. Paul uses the body analogy, right? We did this one night with, with a bunch of the young adults at our house. Some of you were there that night. The, we just threw out, hey, while y'all are eating and talking, uh, think about what part of the body are you? That is, which part of the church body are you? You a little finger? Are you a thumb? Are you a pinky toe? Are you a big old fat toe that keeps you balanced as you walk? Are you the heart? Are you a mouth? We had some interesting conversation around that. But it points up this. The one and the many in the body of Christ. See, we're not islands. No man is an island. And so even though Paul's addressing individuals here, in this second paragraph, he's addressing individuals within the context of the whole. We can not only harm ourselves, some of you have been sick and even died, but we can harm the whole church. Wouldn't it be awful? Do you ever think about that? Could my sin, my anger, could my, 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 my public displays of rage, my private displays of indulgence, you name it, food, drink, That could be affecting the whole church. Finally, very quickly, the sacraments about divine blessings or curses. You see that. Some are sick. Some have even died. But notice the wonderful thing here. But if we judged ourselves truly, that is, if we judged ourselves properly, the way we're supposed to judge ourselves, not by my standard individual, not by comparative analysis, we like to do that, don't we? Well, you know what? I'm more faithful than so-and-so. I even bring my Bible to church, and I've not seen them with a Bible in years. I'm, hey, you get the gist. 
we love comparative analysis when it comes to, to spiritual things. But if we judge ourselves rightly, that is truly according to God's word, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, notice, it doesn't say we're condemned. It says just the opposite, we're disciplined. Think Hebrews. Just like a loving father doesn't punish his children, he disciplines his children, her children. That's the way the Lord deals with us. He is our father, after all. And he is the preeminent, loving, heavenly father who loves us and cares for us. And so he disciplines us. And he does it so that we may not be condemned along with the world. That's the promise. So we come to the Lord's Supper. And it's a family meal. But that doesn't let us off the hook. We're all individually accountable, responsible, and participating. And there are blessings. If we deal with our sins properly, we eat and we drink, and it becomes nourishment to our souls. If we don't judge ourselves rightly, we come in our sin, it can have harmful effects on us. If I were to ask you right now, every believer in the house, every eye closed, every, no. If I ask you right now, how many of you want to leave with the blessings of the Lord or the curses of the Lord, I think you'd all vote for blessings. So we come we deal with our sins. If I ask you, how many of you want to do, do, do today something that would benefit this whole church body? I think everybody would raise your hand. Again, it's deal with our own sin and then come joyfully and in faith and eat and drink. And then, then we're nourished. We're built up. When we're built up, we can build up others. When we're building up others, we're encouraging others. God promises unity for his people. But like all of God's works, it's according to his means, not man's. One of the, the primary means of grace is the word of God, the preaching. But then there's also the sacraments, baptism and today the Lord's Supper. We get to feed upon Christ. You say, but Christ is not here. The Spirit of Christ is. The Holy Spirit's here. But what Christ did for us in body, in will, in soul, provided for all we need. And we just continue. We continue getting our nourishment from Christ. We can never get enough of Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. We ask now that you bless the table. Forgive us our sins that maybe we didn't deal with properly earlier. Perhaps even sins that have cropped up in the midst of singing and, and 
and the preaching, our minds can be so overrun with sin. And we pray that you forgive us, that we go to this table now for our own good as individuals, but also for the whole church, so that we'd be a stronger people when we leave. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.